to the Football Garbage Time NFL Podcast in our Scares and Dares episode where we review our favorite horror movie scare of the week and give you the NFL prop bets that we dare to make. My name is Hakun Wong and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Football Garbage Time and with me as always for our Scares and Dares episode, Senior Staff Writer, Joanne Kong. How are you doing, Joanne? Good. All right, we got plenty to talk about this week, so let's get this rolling. As usual, we'll start off our Scare of the Week, which this week is the 2015 movie, we are still here, streaming essentially everywhere, including Peacock and Tubi. So let's go ahead and just start with this and give you a little bit of background here. It's, uh, again, from 2015. It's a brisk one hour and 24 minutes. Directed and written by Ted Gogesian. It's actually his first film that he ever did. Uh, produced by Evan Kaspar and Travis Stevens. It was released on streaming in 2016, but released in, uh, in limited release in the theaters in 2015. It stars Barbara Crampton as Anne Sachetti and Andrew Sensenig as Paul Sachetti and we'll go through some other actors as well. And just a little bit of a side note here, a little bit of trivia, Barbara Crampton actually was nominated in this film for the Fangoria Chainsaw Award for Best Actress, did not win. And you might also recall uh, her name from a pair of H.P. Lovecraft-inspired movies back in the 80s. She, pa- she played Megan Halsey, which is the fiancé and the reanimator, and also Dr. Catherine McMichaels in From Beyond, uh, in which she was also nominated for uh, Best Actress by the Saturn Awards, which she did not win. But both of those movies, inspired by H.P. Lovecraft uh, stories and around the same time frame. So she was really hitting it in the horror genre back in the 80s. So this is kind of a, a nice return to form for her in 2015. So a little bit of quick summary first, and then we'll tell you about what we felt about the movie. So here's a little bit of the summary. In 1979, following the death of their son, Bobby in a car crash, and played by Barbara Crampton, and Paul Sanchetti, played by Andrew Sensenig, decide to move into a new home in rural New England. Paul hopes that it will be a therapeutic change for Anne as the death of their son has caused her to spiral into a deep depression. However, Anne starts to hear noises and claims that Bobby is present in the house, which Paul does not believe. And when their neighbors, Dave and Kate McCabe, stop over to introduce themselves, Kate slips Paul a note warning them to leave. In the meantime, Paul hires an electrician to fix the basement, which for some reason is running much hotter than the rest of the house and has uh, the smell of smoke. Obviously not a good thing if you have a basement. The electrician is injured by something in the basement and has to go to the hospital, leading Anne and Paul to investigate their house further, leading them to learn that the house was built in the 1800s by the Dagmar family as a funeral home, but that the Dagmars were reportedly run out of the village after the town discovered that they were allegedly swindling their customers by selling corpses and burying empty caskets. I have to say, that probably would have convinced me to move out of the house right there. I'm not sure about you. Well, they made a reference to how cheap it was. So in the 70s, I guess it was hard to give up a good deal. I guess even in the face of uh, funeral homes and all sorts of scandals. Regardless, Anne invites her friends May and Jacob Lewis to help contact Bobby since they are both spiritualists. The couples go out to eat at a local bar and for some reason encounter very unfriendly townspeople who continue to stare at them throughout dinner. Um, That was unnerving. While they're out, the Lewis's son, Harry, who also was a friend and college roommate of Bobby, arrives with his girlfriend, Daniela. They walk into the empty house and hear a strange noise, which leads Harry to go down to the basement and investigate, and that's where we'll stop, because things really start to go off the rails at that point, and we don't want to spoil it for you. So, Joanne, what do you think of this movie, We Are Still Here? Um, I thought it was pretty good. It was pretty well-paced. It wasn't that long. And it moved this story along 
pretty well. Yep. Like, I didn't think there was that much of a lag. No. One hour, 24 minutes. They definitely move things along pretty quickly. Uh, although I felt, felt there was like a tale of two stories here because the first story, part of the story was a little bit more old school haunted house and the second part of the story a little bit more gory in your face uh, action almost. <laughs> a little almost comedic in the vein of Sam Raimi's Evil Dead. What do you think? Um, you know, it, it was interesting because I, I think the first half was, uh, was very much more of a build up. Right. Uh, to this idea of a haunted house. And the back half of it was uh, more of a slasher. I agree with you. A lot it, more frenetic. Yeah. But it, 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 it worked because throughout the movie, they talk about how um, there is, like, if, you, if they don't do what the house wants without giving anything away, right. then there would be a lot of blood and destruction. Consequences. So, yep. Um, so it kind of, you know, plays into its own story, which you kind of, I mean, the story, the movie does actually tell you that it is an entity, but in the same right, it, like most horror movies, like who is the actual horror? Is it the actual people or is it the ghosts? Right. Sure. There's a lot. There's exactly that plays up the who's the real bad guy here. It's certainly a little bit at the beginning an homage to old school haunted house movies via uh, notes of Lucio Fucci, the Italian giallo horror movie uh, director from the 70s and 80s, such as the movies uh, The Beyond and The House by the Cemetery. Those are all very much classics in the haunting movie realm. Also, a little bit of a touch. There's a little homage scene uh, to the 1980s Peter Medic movie, The Changeling, as well. So certainly uh, demonstrating some um, some um, leanings towards the early 80s haunted horror, and then before going, like I said, full um, full on Sam Raimi <laughs> at the end. In, in many ways, I think it's kind of a slightly modernized love letter to the broader genre of 1980s horror, and with mostly practical effects. And I thought performances relatively strong for a movie like this don't you think yeah i mean it seemed like it would be a pretty low budget movie from the settings uh and the isolation of the town i mean it could have really been anywhere even though they say it was like new england yeah uh and it it did it it was like i thought uh pretty good yeah yeah, I mean, I think that, honestly, the, that really did make it because uh, it's really hard to kind of hold off that tension for all that time and then kind of take a hard left and become very frenetic, you know, at the end and actually quite gory. So, But you kind of see it coming, though, because they have, they the townspeople kind of discuss that if the house isn't going to do it, then we have to do it. Yeah, so the, it's obviously coming to a head <laughs> near the end of the movie, and it really does uh, do that. But again, hour 27, so excellent, uh, good pacing. Mm-hmm. Things move along. That's just enough tension. And like I said, lots of great old, store, old school homage to those old school haunted house movies. Um, and and if you can, you'll probably spot them along the way if you are a horror movie um, uh, aficionado. So let me. What do you like the most about this uh, movie? Um, so there's a few things I liked about this movie. One was the setting and the isolation of New England. Right. Um, the other thing was the house being a character and an entity itself. Right. Which I thought was, you know, it's 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 pretty much that old school haunted house. But I thought they did it really well. And I also liked their uh, friends, May and Jacob, the uh, the mediums. Yep. 
Uh, yeah, Maiden Jacob, played by Lisa Marie and Larry Fassenden. Yeah, they did a, a really good job, and they really did come kind of counterpoint um, the characters of Anne and Paul, who are a lot more practical and not spiritual. Although they kind of went over the top to make sure you understood they were spiritual. They had, they literally had a green catcher in their car as <laughs> they were driving up, and they had crystals everywhere. So they, they really made it made it a point to, for you to see the distinction between the two. Um, yeah, I like that too. Actually, I, as I mentioned before, I really like the excellent performances by Barbara Crampton and Andrew Sensenig. I thought they were great. Um, fantastic atmosphere at the beginning, the first half of the movie. Really sets attention well. The excessive gore in the second half, almost comic gore, uh, of the movie completely changes the mood. But I think it really just works together. What do you like least about this movie? So, um, I guess like there's a few things I didn't like about this movie. One, you know, although I like the characters May and Jacob. I didn't like the that they didn't use them uh, the way that they could because there was a lot of, I think, gaps about the history of the house. Like, we only know from what they told us, but we don't really know what the history is. Right. We don't know, you know, if it's the house or if it was the Dagmar family that cursed it. We don't know any of these things. And I think that man Jacob... Because they were mediums, they could have been used in a better way to kind of fill that gap to tell the actual story instead of being so vague as most mediums are. Right. They could have really just used them a lot better. And I think they were used, though, kind of as plot tools to move it forward. I mean, they had they needed them to connect up the back end of the movie. Um, without May and Jacob being there, they would have never gotten to the back end of the movie, I think. That's kind of, uh, I think, their rationale. But I agree with you. I think that's one of the problems here is the underlying mythos isn't really explained very clearly. Yeah, and and I just had a problem with that because, you know, as you'll see, if you watch the movie, I mean, most people have unfinished basements, but usually it's not dirt. Yeah. I mean, you, you it's usually co- some kind of concrete. So, like, I had some issues with what was actually going on with the house, right. which makes you want to question, like, what is up? Like, was it really the Dagmars that, you know, initially started this curse, or was it something else? Right, right. No, I totally agree. And I think that's actually one of the things that's interesting is that as, as it was a little bit of an homage to old Italian giallo films, which typically didn't fully explain the cause of the creepy events that occurred, you know, right, I, but there was also no boundaries, like who died, who lived. There was no reason. And in the movie, they said it themselves. They've been there two weeks, which obviously the townspeople thought was way too long right? Uh, before anything happened. Right, right. So clearly there's something going on there that was unexplained. But like I was saying, I think that part of it is in, in, in homage, and maybe this is intentional or unintentional, those old Italian giallo films just really didn't fully explain the underlying mythos of things of why they happened. Um, they just kind of made you assume that that's the reason that they just happened, you know, so yeah. you have to take it at face value. But when we sat down, like, as you said, and tried to really pin down exactly what was happening and why things were happening, as you pointed out, there are lots of significant inconsistencies between who went, who died, who didn't, and for what reasons. And that, I think, detracted from an otherwise well-executed film as well. So give us a scarometer here, zero to ten, zero being uh, unicorns and uh, rainbows, and ten being I poop my pants. Uh, three. All right, three. That's actually not so bad, but I thought it'd be a little more. I have a five, mm. actually. I thought the tension created from the first half of the movie um, was quite good. Um, well, it was kind of weird because I mean, it it the um I think the practical effects of the actual figures were pretty good, but there were some things I just couldn't buy into, like 
who has a house where the uh, radiator you could see through to the first floor? I mean, that makes no sense. <laughs> well, <laughs> I like things like that. The basement that's like made out of dirt. It doesn't make any sense. Like all those things just kind of took away from, um, I guess, what could have been a more tense type of so beginning you, you're saying the sense of non-reality made it less believable in terms of making it scary yeah. i mean i get it maybe there are houses like that but why would you want your bedroom to have a radiator the size of someone's you know torso mm. that opens up to the living room yeah. like you would never have any privacy why well, have a door well spoiler alert that obviously was in order to move the story forward <laughs> this is why they did it not maybe not a real maybe not a real room is was my guess there um, all right, so you gave it a three. I gave it a five on a scare meter. And before we go to our star rating, let's go ahead and see what Rotten Tomatoes said. Out of 44 reviews on the tomato meter, it got a 95% certified fresh on the Rotten Tomatoes. Critics' senses say smart, powerfully acted, and devilishly clever. We Are Still Here offers some novel twists on familiar territory and heralds the arrival of a major talent in writer-director Ted Gugasian. So, okay, well, that's what the critics thought about it. Audience score, strangely enough, Half that, 47%. So I guess audience is not as thrilled about it as the critics were. Maybe they were picking up on the inconsistencies that we were picking up on. All right, let's go to the star rating. What do you got here? Star is 0 to 4, 4 being the best, 0 being a piece of trash. I thought it was a good movie, but I gave it a 2. 2, okay, yeah. interesting. Um, I gave it a 3. I actually thought it was actually pretty well executed, and I enjoyed the way they build it up. And I really appreciated the homage aspect yeah. to it. Well, I, I gave it a two because, you know, I thought it was that movie just right in the middle of the line. Like, it wasn't something that new, but they executed it very well. The fact that they could have used May and Jacob a little better also deterred from my rating. Yep. But, like, all in all, uh, definitely something you should watch. It's not long. It moves fast. Yep. The story in itself is, you know, is... Is, is done pretty well. So just all in all, I thought it was a good movie, like a middle-of-the-line movie. Yep, I think uh, that is probably true. And but you at, think it's better than but, that because you gave it a three. <laughs> well, over the middle-of-the-line movie is where I see it because uh, I think that it was... So obviously, it, I don't think it was new, but I so didn't it think... So it averages like a 2.5. Okay, so it averages a 2.5. We can, we can get over there. So uh, anyway, that was the 2015 movie. We are still here streaming essentially everywhere, including Peacock and Tubi. I say go check it out. Yeah, definitely give it's definitely worth a watch. It's worth the hour and 24 minutes. All right, let's turn now to those prop bets that we dare to make in week 16 of the NFL. And uh, we won't bother with our prop pick, bet picks from last week. We'll just say we were 50 50 on that. I did hit my Saturday special, but we were just a little shy on the Sunday uh, picks. I think you missed yours by like five or six yards or something like that. Two uh, yards. It was like, un yeah, two yards. Yeah, unbelievably close. All right. Anyway, we'll try to do a little better. But, and again, you can't, you can't, uh, they must obviously set those over-unders for a reason. And, and they definitely did. So let's go to our prop bets that we dare to make for week 16 of the NFL. What do you got as your first pick? Uh, so for my first pick, I went with um, Las Vegas quarterback Aiden O'Connell. Okay, Aiden O'Connell. He is at 206.5 and for passing yards, and I went with the over. Okay, so over 206.5 passing yards for Aiden O'Connell. Tell us why. So uh, it, against in week 15, Aiden O'Connor, like he, O'Connell did great. Like it, I, I don't think like any fantasy player could have 
predicted this. If anybody actually was playing him at but that point. he threw for 248 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, like, it's just... It was uh, insane. Yeah, like, I don't think anyone saw it coming. The only other two wins he had this season was against the New York Jets and the New York Giants. Right. Uh, so this is his third win. And I'm not saying that he's going to win against... Uh, in week 16 against the Kansas City Chiefs. That would be fascinating. Uh, and But this is the strange thing about him. Like, he has had five games that are over uh, 206.5. Okay. Two of them are against... Uh, two of them were against the Chargers. One against Miami. One against the New York Giants. And one against the Kansas City Chiefs. Interesting. So, which is very interesting because they, the Chiefs have the fifth best uh, defense against the pass game. Yeah. And yet allowed O'Connell to throw for 248 yards. Okay. Of course they lost. I mean, but that's not the point. We're not picking whether Las Vegas nope. wins or loses. Nope, nope, We're nope. just picking the pass game. Right. And, you know, with everything said and done, it is very interesting because... Against the against the charge against Kansas City Chiefs, Zappy Hurts, Tua, and Russell Wilson all threw for less than two hundred six. Mm-hmm. But Aiden O'Connell threw for more when the last time they met with them. Yeah, well, you know, like is Aiden O'Connell better than Hurts, Tua, and Russell Wilson? I mean, I don't know. Right. I didn't include Zappy in that, but like I don't know. But so I'm just I, I think it's pretty daring to say that it's gonna be over. 206 against the Chiefs um, because all in all you it should be under but I don't know why I'm going with the over yeah and uh, it's interesting because Josh Jacobs obviously didn't play in week 15 he's trending towards not playing again this weekend so that might be part of it that might help Aiden O'Connell actually reach those numbers because he'll be passing to his running backs a lot more than handing it off uh, so, yeah, I could see that happening here. I, I don't doubt that this is a possibility here of Aiden O'Connell. I mean, he just, needs, he just needs 207. Yeah. That's all he needs. This is true. So, you got Aiden O'Connell, 206.5 passing yards. You're taking the over on that. Mm-hmm. My first pick of the week is Brees Hall of the New York Jets. And the, re- the prop bet right now is over under 48.5 rush yards against the Washington Commanders. I got the over on the 48.5 rush yards for Brees Hall. And I'll tell you why. Brees Hall, he has averaged 45.5 rush yards per game, so that's a little bit less than what we're trying to hit here. But this week, he faces the Washington Commanders run defense that allows 119.7 rush yards per game this season. And it's given up at least 91 yards on the ground in 13 of 14 games this season, while allowing opposing lead backs to average 75.6 rushing yards per game. They are a sieve defending against the run. All these numbers are, unsurprisingly, more than 48.5. So, just so you know, last week the Commanders allowed 196 total rushing yards and 152 of them to Kyron Williams alone. So, the Jets are going to be starting third stringer Trevor Simeon at quarterback this weekend uh, since Zach Wilson is out with a concussion. So, you can bet that with Simeon behind center... They're going to lean a little bit more on Hall, particularly since he's one of their top two most dynamic players that they have on offense. I am going to take the over on 48.5 rush yards for Brees Hall against those Washington Commanders. All right, what do you got as your next pick? 
I'm gonna go back to Tommy DeVito. Oh my gosh, back to the Tommy DeVito well. Yeah, I know. When I told you, you were pretty surprised. Especially <laughs> since he failed me with uh, two yards last yes, week. Yes, he missed it by two yards last yeah. week. But, you know, two yards, you know, it's, yeah. it was very close. I mean, and seeing as how he got half of that in his last drive, basically. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, mean, he can do it if he, he really wanted to, or maybe. You know, the Saints just felt pity for him and yeah. let him do it. Uh, I don't really know, but right. we're not going to question it. We're going to move on, and we're going to say that he is going to go over the 182.5 passing yards that he is set for. Okay, over 182.5. Yeah, so interestingly, um, Tommy DeVito's loss last week against the Saints was less talked about than his agent. Yeah, of course. Yeah, right. Right. There were a lot of other things going on in the news for sure. So the commentators made a good point. They thought that like Tommy DeVito had too much swagger for someone who hasn't yet proven that there could be they could be an NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, is that he is an NFL quarterback because he is starting again in Week 16 yep. against the Philadelphia Eagles. And confidence is important if you're a, if a quarterback. It is. It is, but you have to keep yourself in check. So, I mean, this is where it comes in. It's a fine line. You need confidence, but you also got to know, you know, your limitations and what you have to do and what you can do and what you should do. So, and and it's very interesting because when I think of Tommy DeVito, I think about uh, Tyson Bagent, mm-hmm. where like for one millisecond, everyone thought that he was going to be the next Brock Purdy. Yes, everybody thinks that it <laughs> just takes one and game. people were like, oh my God, Justin Fields is going to like lose his job the, yeah. when he gets better. Right. You know, he, they're not, they're going to keep Tyson Bagent. That didn't happen. Nope, definitely did not. Happen. Definitely did not. Tommy DeVito is kind of in a different situation and I feel like he has more capability capability than uh tyson bagent mm-hmm. uh definitely i don't know if it's a brock purdy situation because he's not as good as brock purdy but maybe he could be well, i don't no know one, no one I is other than brock purdy yes. so so i think like he is gonna do he's gonna do over the projected 182.5 because not are the not just are the Eagles on a three game losing streak, which I'm not saying the Eagles are gonna lose. Right. But they are on a three game losing streak. Yes. They have been looking dreadful. They have not been good. They also have the fifth worst pass defense in the league currently. Shockingly, because their defense was so good last year and they have great players. Just... Right. And in the beginning they were very strong and week to week to week they just kept dropping. And right. now they are sitting at the fifth worst pass defense. Right. So not only is, you know, Tommy DeVito stated for 182.5, but in the past games, Zach Wilson of the New York Jets had 186 yards, passing yards against the Eagles. Right. Sam Howell of Washington had 397 yards against the Eagles. Right. Mac Jones of New England had 316 yards. Yeah, that's shocking. Against the Eagles. I mean, these are all over 182.5. I'm not saying that Tommy DeVito is better than... Zach Wilson, Sam Howell, or Matt Jones. Yeah, but he doesn't have to be. (laughs) You know, he just needs to come close to beat that 182.5. So I'm going to say that, I'm going to dare to say that Tommy DeVito beats this number this week. All right. Over the passing passing over under of 182.5 passing yards for Tommy DeVito against the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, I, I like that one. All right. So I got... 
Rashad White is my second pick, and I'm dipping back in the well here. Rashad hit his over-under last week, and this time I'm going to go ahead and go back to the well. The, I'm going to look at his over-under prop for receiving yards this year, this time instead. His prop is over-under 25.5 receiving yards, and I'm going to take the over on 25.5 receiving yards for Rashad White. So as I mentioned last week, Rashad White has quietly been one of the best running backs in the league in the second half of the season. White has averaged 35.4 receiving yards per game this season. And no team has allowed more catches to running backs this season than the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are allowing an average, an average of 6.7 catches and 46.7 receiving yards to opposing running backs. So 35.4, more than 25.5, 46.7, also more than 25.5. White exceeded 25.5 receiving yards in each of the past two weeks in a single catch each time. So I think he is well positioned to exceed 25.5 receiving yards this week. So don't overthink it. Take the over on 25.5 receiving yards for Rashad White. And that is what we have for our picks of the week and our dares of the week. So hit the bell. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) That's all the time we have. Let's go ahead and move on. And Joanne, give us your social media so people can follow you. It's at Kung Fu for you uh, on X, formerly Twitter. Yes, that's right. And uh, you, as usual, thank you, everyone, for listening and wasting time with us. You can find me at FB Garbage Time on X slash Twitter slash whatever you want to call it or at the Football Garbage Time page on Facebook. We'll be back again next time with more horror movie reviews and prop bets. And until then, watch those horror movie scares, make those NFL prop bet dares, and enjoy your NFL week. Good luck, everyone. This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com.